Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I am joined by Marcus Donaldson and Julia Yoder. (laughs) Welcome back, y'all. Before we get started, I want to just give a little bit of context to the listener here. Marcus preached an incredible sermon on Sunday, Mm -hmm. and it was on the second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. And... um, to get the proper context for our conversation to, to today, I would encourage you to go listen to that sermon because it was uh, d- like drinking from a fire hose. So go get that context before before you listen to us here, so you can better understand what we're talking about. But um, but yeah, Marcus, why don't you take us into a recap from Sunday's message? Yeah, so we continued Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. We're in his introduction or his preamble, the Beatitudes, like you mentioned. We covered. Matthew 5, 3 last week with Brian Hall, who uh, delivered a, a great message on uh, being poor in spirit. And we saw that this is not only the first beatitude, right? This is the the gateway into the kingdom, being poor in spirit. Um, and we realized that this is only something that the Spirit of God can do. So when we understand that being poor in spirit is recognizing our need for a Savior, that Mm -hmm. we have nothing to offer. We'll then not only uh, call on Him uh, to save us, call on Jesus to save us, right? Uh, Then it's connected to the second beatitude, uh, mourning over sin. So historically, there—and I don't know when this shift happened, but at least from what I understand, there's been this idea that being— Poor in spirit is about practical humility, mm-hmm. and then Matthew five four mourning over sin is about or mourning is about losing a loved one, right? And and we know that that yeah God is the God of all comfort, and yes He definitely comforts those who are mourning uh, the death of, lo- of a loved one or a difficult situation. However, we cannot cherry pick Matthew five four mm-hmm. and make it about grieving the death of a loved one. This is about mourning over our sin and our sinful condition. So that first one, Matthew 5, 3, is intellectual, and then Matthew 5, 4, uh, mourning over sin, is that emotional counterpart. So as that information, as that awareness enters our mind, it should travel to the believer's heart, and it should be a continuous mourning over sin. Now, as I say that, you know, there have been periods in church history where church services and everything else were characterized by doom and gloom and, yeah. mm. you know, just mopey, ugly Christianity. And there's there's some benefit to that, right? Mm-hmm. They took sin seriously. They took its consequences seriously and our condition apart from God seriously. However, I think if you make it all about mourning all about everything else and you forget the second part of Matthew 5 4 they shall be comforted well then you never get to the gospel yeah you never get to the second part of this this beatitude that they shall be comforted well by who in whom uh, are we going to be comforted by well the triune God yeah the God of all comfort uh, and specifically here the Holy Spirit which that word rendered as a noun in John 14, 16 speaks to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the comforter, and he's the one who comforts those who are mourning over their sin and sinful condition, reminding them of the gospel. Yeah, that's good. Julie, what were some of your thoughts from Sunday? 
I really like Marcus how, which I mean, that's the whole point of the sermon, <laughs> but how you brought to light just like, why do we need to be doing this in the first place? I mean, like, why is this in here? Why is it important to mourn? And what does that look like? And you kind of touched on this a little bit, um, even just now, but like, it's not about just spiraling and being depressed forever and stuck in the fact that you've sinned. It made me think of like somebody apologizing to you. Imagine if you were like, I'm so sorry I did that. And then you just kept apologizing. Every time you saw the person, you were like, I'm so sorry for that one time. Right, that I, right. It's like, that right. doesn't make sense. Like right. there has to be a moment where we mourn over our sin. And then like you talked about repentance, we turn away and walk differently. And when we have a mind like Christ, we it's not that we think that we have no sin right but just like he says i see you as holy and blameless we get to agree with him in that and be like okay i've repented i mourn over my sin and i repent yeah so i loved that you touched on that and just the fact that really if there's a sermon i think you said this as well if there's a sermon or a message or whatever that's only you, like, you can't have one without the other. Right. You really can't have the rejoicing without recognizing first that, like, what are you rejoicing for? Right. Like, you can't cut the gospel in half like that. So it's cool to reflect on that in my life, how much deeper joy I have the more I recognize my need for Christ. Like, it's not about staying sorrowful forever. Mm-hmm. I can't stay sorrowful forever once I recognize all that the Lord has done for me. Right. Yeah. It brings like such a deeper joy and than what a, I could ever know. Yeah. Yeah. She just summarized so, my sermon way better than I did. That mm-hmm. that was so beautiful. That's good. I you. did think of that verse in Nehemiah, which maybe you can bring some more context to this a little bit, but when um he says in verse 11, so the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. He's telling them to not grieve. It's the same passage where it says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Mm. So it's like even Nehemiah is saying like, this is not a time to be sorrowful. Like there is a time to be sorrowful and mourn for your sin, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. Like he is, he is joyful when we're in communion with him mm-hmm. because we're able to recognize our need for him. Yeah. And that is where our strength comes right. from. So I just loved that verse as well. It made me think of that. Great. Yeah. I, I loved how, you know, we established and we looked at second Corinthians seven ten, where it looks at the difference between worldly grief and, and godly grief, where uh, grieving over your, your sin just from the worldly perspective brings just condemnation. You're, you're sorry for the consequence. And if you just stay there, then you're going to be condemned and you, you can't get out of that, that feeling of depression and despair. Whereas if we mourn in, in a godly way, which we'll, we'll get into in a second, what, what that looks like, but if we mourn in that godly way, that's what brings true freedom because we, we are led to renounce the sin but if we are pursuing after Christ and mourning over our sins, we, we are led to renounce the sin, embrace who God is and what he has done over our lives. And like, like you said, we can't stay sorrowful. Yeah. He will work out this, this good work in us, and he will, he will bring it to completion in us be, through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. It, and it's only through the Holy Spirit that any of this is made possible, which 
um, Marcus, I loved how you just you kept bringing it back to there because it's very easy in a, in a message like this to to get bogged down in, oh, he's just telling me to sin less, and he's telling me to, oh, I can't, you know, um, or I need to be harder on myself. But when the Holy Spirit is at, is at work in our lives, you know, we are led to glorify God with everything that we are, which means we must renounce the the darkness and the sin that is in ours. So let's let's jump into what that morning actually looks like. Um, you know, take us there, Marcus. We covered three things. This first step was to pray uh, for a humble and contrite heart, and this is the one thing that that God will never reject, that He doesn't despise, and always gives to those who ask. Then study Scripture, because through Scripture we learn how evil and wicked and uh, harmful sin is, not only to ourselves, but how it uh, violates God's glory in the world. And so we see that not only does it reveal what uh, how bad sin is um, and how bad we are in our sin, mm-hmm. but it also encourages us. So we have the the believer has the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. Mm. Then we have his written word who's a present comfort um, and a very tangible comfort. Yeah. And then the third step is to remove hindrances. And here it, it's it was probably the most difficult to prepare throughout the week, not only because it felt very hypocritical to talk about, but I just know that it's something that people don't like to talk about. Mm-hmm. So those hindrances yeah. are pride, procrastination, presumption, love of sin, and despair. Yeah. Oof. What, Julia, what were some of your thoughts from, from those hindrances in general? Like, how did that hit you? Yeah. I liked the breakdown of the, like, pray, get in scripture, remove hindrances. Not that it can be put perfectly practical well <laughs> that was quite the alliteration um not that it can i mean morning might always look different but having that is like the basis of like we're sorrowful in our over our sin and then we're replacing that with truth like what is mm-hmm. the scripture saying mm-hmm. and what is the holy spirit convicting us like in order to be convicted by him we have to turn to towards something else like what are you turning to right and it just brings about like the thought in me of like his kindness leads us to repentance yep so if you feel this quote-unquote conviction and you're so obsessed you find yourself obsessing over your sin and staying in it and not replacing it with truth and not listening to the holy spirit then it's more likely that you're listening to your flesh or leaving room for the enemy to, you know, let you spiral. But when we're convicted to something, we can pray and ask, ask him to like help change our hearts, change our minds, apologize really, you know, be regretful. And then we, we move on, like we move forward um, and replace it with that truth, replace it with what does scripture say? What does the Holy Spirit say? Um, I just like that. It helped me have that distinction between like con- condemnation, I guess, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to to be more like Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you also broke down, you know, just the what like repentance is. It was it was like we were just reading from a dictionary on Sunday because you defined mourning and the repentance and 
a bunch of different other stuff there. Um, but you, you laid out how repentance it was, you know, agreeing with God that the sin is wrong in, intellectually, and then giving the emotional approval in sorrow for our sin, and, and finally making that personal decision to renounce it and and leaving it behind and turning to God from that. And I haven't really looked at it that way. Like, it's so easy to look at repentance of, oh, I, this is just something I need to do. This is something I, I need to just you know, slap myself on the wrist and say, do better next time, or, or make it just a, a sorry party where you just, God, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for this. Like none of that acknowledges who God is. <laughs> and right. in that, in that process, you don't, you are all, you're just focused on yourself. And like you were saying, Julie, about being obs- like, we can get so obsessed with our sin and what we have done and the consequences that are coming from it when repentance is all about being obsessed with who God is yep. and, and letting that lead us to lay everything else aside. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, I, and I've heard it said a couple different times, but, you know, repentance is a gift to us. It's like we, we have hope when we sin. The people that, that are, are not in Jesus, that are not born again, when, when they sin, they either don't feel conviction of it or they have no other choice but to despair in it. They either continue in rebellion or they're just going to be depressed and despairing for the rest of their life until that hope comes to them. Yeah. And in repentance, we have that hope. We can return to him. My friend, um, Kate Goler, she happens to be listening. Shout out to Kate Goler. Kate Such a woman out. of God. <laughs> she gave this example on repentance of a person which was spot on for me trying to carry in all their groceries at one time. It's like one trip or you suck, you know, always one trip. (laughs) And she was like, the Lord gave me this analogy of carrying all those things on my arms. Then you get to the door, you have your keys in your hand, but you literally can't get inside. You can't unlock the door um, without putting everything down. Wow. As sort of a symbolism of like the Lord saying like, we have the keys to, (laughs) To the kingdom. Like we have, we're equipped once we say yes to Jesus, but we have to put those things down. There has to be like a turning away or we're never going to get inside. We're never going to, you know, experience that process of sanctification. Like we have to put the things down that we're carrying. We have to repent. We have to recognize like, ain't no way I'm getting in (laughs) with all these bags on my arm. Right. So I just love that analogy and that's, that's the the saddest thing right is not it, it's not the the person who has a a terrible run at life right that has a bunch of unfortunate things happen to them it's the person who who never comes to the point where they're sorry for their sin where they never one recognize that they're poor in spirit they think that they can save themselves by just being a good person and everything else but then two never get to that point of man, there is nothing good that is in me, yeah. right? There's nothing good that's in my flesh. It's a, it's a gift, you're mm-hmm. right. And then I think in, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 32, uh, the first four verses, David explains this pretty clearly, but in verses three and four, he's saying that when he held all of his sin, when he ca- tried to carry all of his groceries, he, he was exhausted by it. But then when he confessed it, he was able to, to one, glorify the Lord, but remind everybody and himself yeah. even how blessed the person is who uh, is forgiven by God, who he counts no iniquity or sin against. And that this is only 
a consequence of one, the spirit making you poor in spirit, and then two, leading you to mourn over your sinfulness, which leads to confession. And then there you go. Yeah. I think in the same breath, it's also saddening to me when people are able to recognize their sin, but never but never repent. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that you can be mournful over your sin, but never, but almost like too prideful enough sometimes to repent and yeah. accept the fact that like receive his grace, yeah. like that just gets stuck in pride and are like, I'm just going to mourn forever. It's like, man, <laughs> yeah, wow. you have to recognize your sin, be sorrowful over your sin and repent and turn towards, you know, the direction that, the Lord is going if we can't do that. It's like both ways you end up stuck in yep. stuck yeah. in sin. Yeah. And I think that that highlights the importance of of confession. You know, confessing your sins before God, confessing your sins before others. Uh, I loved this quote. I might butcher it, hope I don't. Um, but you said this on Sunday, Marcus, where concealing sin makes your soul a swamp. Confession is how you drain it. Like that was like the most mic drop moment ever from from Sunday. That go. was my cue. <laughs> um, but seriously, like confession, and like don't hear us wrong when we say like confession is is a joy. It is, but it's also really difficult. You know, like highlight like bringing to light what you have done in the darkness is really difficult and it hurts. But that is what. You know that's what it takes to to drain out from us the 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 dark, the gritty, the disgusting parts of our lives that will bring us into true purity and true freedom. And you know we we just need a, a slight shift on on how we view repentance and confession um, as not as something we we should do and as a like a moral duty, but as a necessity uh, to make our lives more like Christ. Right. I. I think repentance also shouldn't be thought of as like this build up moment of like, we finally get to the point where we realize we have all this sin that we, and then it like explodes out of us and we like cry for four days. Like sometimes that might happen, but also repentance should be this daily rhythm and discipline of like, if I, since I have the Holy spirit and I'm in the word and I'm listening to what he's saying then as soon as I do something that doesn't align with scripture, I want to get quicker and quicker at having that moment of repentance and being like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that I can now walk this other direction. Thank you for showing me. And then it's like a quick turnaround. Like that should become normal. And sometimes it it will feel more, I don't want to say dramatic, but like it will feel more heavy. Um, but I think that it should be a daily rhythm mm-hmm. that we're practicing repentance. Wow. I agree. And that's why we spent some time defining it on Sunday, because over over the years, uh, repentance has this shifting definition, right? In some churches, it's this thing where you go into a box or a booth and, you know, it's—anyways— in others, it's this thing where you just keep on going. It's just acknowledging it. Yeah. But it's a lot deeper than that, and it should be a daily thing, and it should be definitely something that is between you and God first. And then, yeah, as you go, 
right? The consequences of that are before man right. um, and everything else. And, mm-hmm. and when you do, you become more sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit as he reveals things in your life and, and sin that you have before you. Yeah. yeah. But at the end of the day, the people aren't the ones right. calling you justified. He's right. the one. Right. For sure. Like... Yeah. Um, well, as, as we wrap up here, I have just kind of one more one more small topic. It's not small. Uh, <laughs> a topic that I want to hit with y'all, and that's just the, the, the conversation of sin in general, like within the church. Like you... Like you went there on Sunday, Marcus, with you know your con- like talking about sin and its real dire consequences in our lives. Like, and you're saying it's like you know why do we settle for you know a shallow, happy, like Christianity when you know life is full of sorrows and and sin and like darkness. So, like why why do you think sin isn't talked about enough? And like how can we you know lead people towards a a correct, you know, reckoning of sin in our lives. So I think that it's not talked about enough because one, if you want to grow a group of people, if you want to see more numbers, well, then you're going to talk or you're not going to talk about the thing that hurts them the most. You're not going to talk about the things that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And then two, in our fast paced consumeristic world, we we're in a rhythm even in the church where it's this transactional thing it's come and go come and go come and go we haven't like doing life together means more than just hey you're here get in your seats hear this and then let's go yeah it's it's taking time to know one another which as a result you'll hear some of that uh, the sin and everything else that are in not only our own lives, but the lives of the people around us. And that's a great opportunity to uh, pray for it, to to encourage people with the Word and comfort them with the Word. But mm-hmm. I think what we do as a result of our consumeristic, fast-paced style of church is, one, we undermine the Spirit's work. Right, if he's the comforter, right? Mm-hmm. If he, if Jesus is saying that they shall be comforted, and this is the Holy Spirit's primary role in our mourning over sin, then if we don't do it, well, we're missing a lot of what the Lord is doing in yeah. that. Right, we're missing what the Holy Spirit is doing and how He transforms uh, the life of the Christian. But I, I think uh, probably the. The number one reason is because we've settled for a Burger King style Christianity, mm-hmm. and the, I mean, this whole message for me, it was this was the thing, right? It's hard. It was hard for me all week to prepare for this and to pray through delivering this, and it's like God, people don't want to be reminded of their sin. People like, yeah. I have to tell them to mourn over their sin and their sinful condition. Like, how am I going to tell them that? It's like, okay, well, you don't want to do it. Well, I don't need you to do it. I can raise up anybody to do it. Right. You don't want to do it? Well, then get out of the way and watch. I will bring somebody in your place who will deliver exactly what I need them to, my word. Mm. Um, And it's that Burger King Christianity where we want to have everything our way, where we just get to change what God said is sin to where it just becomes this unrecognizable, really soft, no hard edges version of faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's cheap and it's shallow and 
it is the poorest expression of Christianity when we wow. undermine not only God's Word, but God's Spirit mm-hmm. um, in how He comforts us in our sin and our sinful condition, not in our flesh, but comforting us that Jesus paid it all for us. That's good. Wow. Long answer, but... That's such a good answer, though. <laughs> and I like that you said, brought up the fact that you use this on Sunday, the Burger King Christianity, like have it your way, because that's so true. Everything it seems like in our culture is have it your way. That's yeah. how things are marketed yes. to us. Like more convenient. How can how can we get this to people more convenient, cheaper, better, bigger, faster? Like everything is yep. to have it our way. And honestly, the gospel is like the complete opposite of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And if we can't, like Jesus suffered and on this side of heaven is the only time where we also will it be able to experience like suffering like if we can't join him in his suffering like i like that you said that that is such a cheap version of faith yeah wow that's good just a small tidbit um when i hear have it your way i actually think more of subway than burger king i know that's the burger king motto but (laughs) you you always see those commercials of, of subway and they're always like picking the random thing but um but yeah, just to piggyback one one more point on that is, you know, when we when we mourn over our sin, like we or the reason I guess we don't mourn over our sin more is that, you know, we view our sin as just the external consequences that that come against us, and we're as sorry as those con- as far as those consequences go, but when we start viewing our sin in light of what it does to God's glory and, and see it as a direct offense against who he is, that's when that, that mourning becomes real, it becomes more urgent, it becomes like the, the, that necessity uh, of life that we have. So, um, yeah, I think that's good about stuff. all we got. Well, listener, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this was a really good, deep conversation. Again, we encourage you to go listen to Marcus's message on Sunday so you can get the proper context. I'm glad that I was actually able to listen to that one online at, at the first time of hearing because I had to pause it like every three minutes to be able to take the notes that I wanted to <laughs> um, because it was truly drinking from a fire hose. But that's why we have the the digital medium uh, so go listen, go check it out. Uh, join us Wednesdays at six o'clock this week for small groups, and then this Sunday at ten a.m. Jared's going to be bringing the bow, word bow, bow, bow. on the third beatitude. So join us ten a.m. Sunday morning for that message. Until next time.